Thank you, choir. Well, this morning we start off a brand new series uh, that's going to span over the next few weeks uh, with a little bit of an interesting title. The name of the series is going to be Nuts and Bolts, and uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. And I have a feeling that when you woke up this morning, I'm pretty certain before your feet hit the floor, before your eyes even were opened completely, you thought to yourself, if only today I can hear some interesting, interesting facts about nuts and bolts, my day will be complete, right? That's probably what you thought. I'm almost certain that's probably what you thought. So today is your day, right? You get to hear some nuts and bolts facts and then see how it integrates, obviously, into Scripture. How many of you are Green Bay Packer fans? I'm just curious, all right? I saw one hand go up really, really quickly, all right? Green Bay plays later today, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. That might be why you're here, right? Those of you that are Green Bay fans, us Falcons fans came every Sunday. That didn't help. So maybe it'll help, maybe it'll help for you. But uh, did you know that the largest hexagonal nut in existence is in Green Bay, Wisconsin? Did you know that? Here's a picture. It's at a place called Packer Fastener on Lombardi Avenue. Ten feet tall. This thing is ten feet tall, all right? Three and a half tons of steel. It took five months for them to fabricate this. Those of you that are construction guys, y'all are loving this right now. It's the greatest message you've ever heard me preach, right? They say if you stand in the center of this, and there are, there are pictures online of, of folks that are doing that. It's kind of a, a tourist attraction, I think, to some degree. But they say if you stand in the center of it, look the proper direction, you can see Lambeau Field from the center of this thing. Ten feet tall. This is just amazing. Now, on top of that, I began to wonder, well, what is the largest bolt in existence, all right? Again, because you woke up this morning wanting to know these kinds of things. Well, I couldn't find that exactly, uh, but I did find out something I never knew. How many of you have ever been to the Space Needle in Seattle? Any of you? All right, a few, hand, few hand, hands up. About the same in the first service. Uh, I've never been to the Space Needle, but having seen pictures of it, right, I'm thinking this would be an awesome place to be able to go. I think we've got a shot of the Space Needle up here, a couple of shots actually. And uh, the Space Needle there in Seattle was built in 1962, so this is not a modern structure. 1962 it was built for the World's Fair there in Seattle and obviously still exists today as a gigantic tourist attraction, kind of an iconic part of the skyline there in Seattle. 74,000 bolts comprise the Space Needle. And when you think about the building of it, 74,000, somebody had to keep in inventory of those nuts and bolts, right? 74,000 bolts comprise the Space Needle. However, in the foundation around to help to secure it in place, there are 72 bolts, each 30 feet long, that help to keep this thing secured through concrete there on its base. So you look at those things and you think, wow, I have now fulfilled my desire to know more about nuts and bolts today. Thank you, Brooks, so much. All right, we can take that picture down. So, so you wonder, so what in the world is going on with this whole nuts and bolts thing? Well, today we start a brand new series entitled, like I said, Nuts and Bolts. Here's what we're doing. We're looking at the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life. And believe it or not, what you may not have ever thought through is that when we think of nuts and bolts, you've probably got them laying all around your garage. Guys, you've got them scattered all around your toolboxes and, you know, in drawers and stuff. And we, we don't think much about nuts and bolts. In fact, we usually have to go buy new ones when we need them because the ones we have don't fit. We don't give a lot of thought to those. However, when you think about the majority of anything that's built, whether it's the car you drive or the house you live in or that machine you operate at work or whatever you do on a daily basis, much of that is put together simply by nuts and bolts. And if those nuts and bolts are not present or if they're in the wrong place or if they're not working together in unison the way they should, if they're not properly maintained and if they're not uh, taken care of, then obviously what's going to happen is that piece of machinery or that 
car or that house is going to show the ill effects of that, right? It's going to begin to wear and tear. It's going to begin to break down. It may leave you stranded. It may even create a situation that's even dangerous as a result. Nuts and bolts are incredibly important. Whenever we look at the effect of Christian life, there are also nuts and bolts that we have to be aware of as well. Now, here's the thing. That phrase we're familiar with, right? Nuts and bolts. And when we use that phrase, nuts and bolts, what we're talking about are the practical aspects of life. Think about this for a second. Follow me for a moment. Let's say that uh, you desire to learn a new hobby. Let's say it's fly fishing. You're going to be going to Colorado. You want to fly fish in some of the rivers, the Colorado, or some of the rivers there in, in that state, and you want to say that you went fly fishing in the Rocky Mountains, but you've never gone before. You, you've never bought any, uh, any of the gear. You don't know how to do it. You've never even watched a YouTube video, but you're going to go fly fish in the, in the uh, Rocky Mountains, right? And so you've got a friend of yours. You're talking at work, and your friend says, oh, man, you're wanting to go fly fishing? Man, I've been fly fishing for decades. Here, here's the thing. I can teach you the nuts and bolts of fly fishing. What is he saying when he says that? He's not saying, I want to teach you the theories of fly fishing. He's not saying, I want to teach you kind of the book learning aspect of fly fishing. He says, what he's saying is, I'm going to get down to the nitty gritty. I'm going to show you on a very practical level how you can do this so that when you go to Colorado, you're going to know the nuts and bolts of what it means to go fly fishing. And practically, you're going to step into that river and you're going to catch some fish, man, because I'm going to teach you the nuts and bolts of fly fishing. Now, here's the thing. If you go and look up that phrase, nuts and bolts, it's really interesting. There's a definition. Merriam-Webster, look at what it says here as a definition for nuts and bolts. And I promise the Bible is coming, all right? Definition of the phrase, nuts and bolts, the working parts or elements. Second aspect of the definition, the practical workings of a machine or enterprise as opposed to theoretical considerations. So what are we talking about when we look at a series entitled, today's the intro, a series entitled Nuts and Bolts, the Nuts and Bolts of an Effective Christian Life. What we're talking about is not just the theory and what we affirm. What we're talking about is how to take the things that we believe and to flesh them out practically. How do we take the things that we believe in already and how do we live those out on a base level so that our Christian walk is more effective, that it hits the bullseye, and that it accomplishes what God desires for it to accomplish? So, so let me ask this question. When you think about having an effective Christian life, what does that look like to you? When you think about, all right, I, I want to have an effective Christian life. When I die, I want to be 181 years old, and I want to look back over my 181 years, and I want to be able to say, I had an effective Christian walk. I lived an effective Christian life. What does an effective Christian life look like for you? Just define that real quickly in your mind. What is an effective Christian life? For some of you, you may say, well, an effective Christian life is getting saved in the first place, right? It's coming to a relationship with God through Jesus, through faith in Christ. I lay down my sins. I give my life to Christ. He comes and forgives me, takes over, saves me, keeps me. That's an effective Christian life. Yeah, I would agree. That's a part of the, you can't have the Christian life without Jesus, right? Is that the only part of an, of an effective Christian life or is there more? Some of you would say, well, an effective Christian life, I, I'm kind of doing it now. I'm here. I'm coming to church. Isn't that what gives us an effective Christian life? Well, that's a part of it. Some of you would say, well, if I just had a little more faith or if I could just obey a little bit better, a little more consistently, 
Maybe if I was um, kind of out of some of the bad habits that I have and I had a few better habits integrated into my life, then I would have more of an effective Christian life. What does an effective Christian life look like for you to begin with? Here's the thing. The Bible paints that picture of what an effective Christian walk looks like. And it's not in theory. It's far different. So we're going to look at two principles today. And we're going to work some scripture into these principles as we lay the groundwork for this series uh, this, um, uh, this practical look at what it looks like to live out the Christian life. And there's going to be a couple of principles, and the first one is this, and I really, really hope you'll jot these down because we're going to come back to them throughout this series. The first principle is this. When you think of an effective Christian life, the effective Christian life specifically is lived out practically. It's not merely thought through in theory. Right, that sounds really deep, doesn't it? The Christian life is lived out practically. This is actually very simple. It's not something that we just think through in theory. Let, let me demonstrate for a moment. Probably I would say there are more folks that are in this building today who are followers of Jesus than those who are not. Now, I would suspect on any given Sunday, obviously, and hopefully we have folks here that have not yet made that decision to give their life to Jesus. I hope you're inviting folks to come and learn more what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We, we love that when that happens. We love those kind of questions about what does it mean to follow Jesus. But I'd be willing to say, I mean, we're a church, right? So probably the, the, there are more folks here than not who have made a decision to give their lives to Christ. So when we think about the things that we affirm, we probably affirm in theory a lot of the same things, right? We affirm that the Bible is God's Word. We affirm that the Bible is a book that we need to spend time in. We affirm that in this book, we're able to see who God is, and we're able to learn more about His truth, and we're able to learn more about ourselves and, and, and all the parameters that God sets for our lives on a daily basis. We affirm that in theory up here in our mind between the ears, right? But when we get down to the nuts and bolts, when we get down to where it's practical, here's the question. Not only do we affirm that this is God's Word, but are we spending time in it on a daily basis in a way that is molding and shaping and changing us? That's the nuts and bolts of what it means to view Scripture as God's Word, not just in theory up here, oh, it's God's Word, we're supposed to trust it and believe every word of it, but where the nuts and bolts come together, are we spending time with it in a way that is fresh, that is engaging, and are we applying it specifically to our lives? That's one thing in theory to agree with it. It's a whole different thing in a practical sense where the nuts and bolts come together to actually begin to live it out. Probably for many of us here, we would, we would affirm and we would agree that hell is a real place, right? That hell exists, that we read of it in Scripture. I mean, you can't get aside from the fact when you read how Jesus dealt with hell, it's not a comfortable topic. There are a lot in this world with religious titles that try to explain hell away and say that it's something less than what, what the Bible says. I mean, Jesus treated it as a very real place. And what we find when we study about the, 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 the doctrine and the topic of hell in Scripture as that it's a place that God would desire no one to go to. He desires no one to perish, but that all come to repentance and faith in Christ. But hell is a very real place. We would probably all affirm that. We would believe that. We would hold to that. But where the nuts and bolts come together in a very practical way, are we doing what we can to keep as many as possible from going to that place? 
by introducing them to Christ, sharing with them the gospel, putting Jesus on display through the lives that we live. See, there's a theory, a a theoretical perspective of the doctrine of hell, but then there's a very different practical nuts and bolts perspective where if that's true, man, we need to be telling as many as we can about a Savior who came to die to set us free and to forgive us and to wipe our slate clean. (laughs) The nuts and bolts get us down to where it's practical. It's one thing to say we love God, but are we practically growing in that love for him? What are we doing to help to worship him with with more of a pure heart, with more of a heart that's hot for him? Look, Look at what it says in the book of James. The book of James is a very, very practical book written by Jesus's half-brother. He, uh, he didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah at first. Probably wouldn't have believed your brother was the Messiah either, <laughs> right? But after the resurrection, apparently, that changed everything. I mean, he realized. He followed Christ as a Savior and as his Lord. He wrote a book that we have in Scripture, a book that is very much less about theory and affirmation and a whole lot more about the practical aspects of our faith, the nuts and bolts. Look at what he says here in chapter 1. He says, therefore, James says, verse 21, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, he says to these Christians, these believers, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life have everything to do with living out that Christian life in a very practical way. James is saying here, don't just affirm and receive and listen to the word of God. He says, be a doer of the word. Get down where the nuts and bolts are and begin to do business with the Word of God personally. Live it out. Paul would say in Philippians, uh, he would say it in a little bit of a different way. He would say to, to, um, to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Don't just say, oh, I'm a believer. I'm right with God. Everything's good until I get to heaven. He says, work that salvation out. Get down where the practical aspects of life are. Nuts and bolts do things to help you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. Look at what James says next in James chapter 2. Man, this is really, this gets to the nitty-gritty right here. He says, if a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and yet you do not, you, you do not give them what's necessary for their body, what, is, what, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. James is saying everything that we're talking about today. He's saying it's one thing to say, oh, God's going to hear my prayer. I'm going I'm to pray for you. Oh, you just need to trust God. Just go on ahead. God's going to fill you. Oh, you haven't eaten in a week, and I know it, and I can tell it. You know, you're starving out here. You're stomach growling. But you know what? In theory, I affirm, brother, that God is going to provide for you. James says, what good is that? If you've got a sandwich, man, give him a sandwich so we can eat, right? That's where the nuts and bolts are. I mean, give the guy, he's a brother in Christ and he's hungry and hasn't eaten. Just get down where the nuts and bolts are. Step out of the theory. Step out of what you believe and actually put the nuts and bolts to it and apply it and turn the wrench and give him something to eat. Because an effective Christian life is not merely about what we believe that is so important. Because belief drives action. 
But we have to step outside as Christians, outside of the realm of just what we affirm, just what we believe, and actually put hands and feet to that and actually flesh it out on a daily basis. That's where the nuts and bolts are. It's the practical applications of what makes an effective believer in an effective Christian life. So James lays out, the whole entire book pretty much reads that way. It's interesting when you think about Brian, who was just baptized I mean, he named names of people who were here. I won't, won't put you on display, but people who are here that had an impact on his life outside of the walls of a church, outside of the walls, outside of the 9 to 12 Sunday morning arrangement. I mean, Brian said himself, he said he wasn't in church. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And yet it was people that God had placed in proximity to him, in physical space, in his world, who... who, who who ultimately came alongside of him and encouraged him and loved him and took their faith out of the 9 to 12 Sunday slot and actually fleshed it out and lived it out before him in the public arena and loved him and had an impact on him. And ultimately what God did as a result of that was he brought another person into a relationship with himself. I, I told Brian, I said, man, when he told me this story, we're having breakfast at a sunrise, right? That's a Man, that's a good, that's a blessed place for breakfast right there. And uh, <laughs> I already felt the anointing of, yeah, anyway. So, and he was telling me, I said, man, I said, it's, it's, it's like God just wove a web around you with all these different people, you know, people in work and people that you knew in different capacities and different ways. It's like God just spun this web around you and he led you to himself. And all you could do is give your life to Christ. And it was people who didn't just look at their Christian walk from a theoretical, affirmative perspective and say, this is what I believe. They stepped out of that. The nuts and bolts are. They love their neighbor as themselves. And they treated someone with love the way Jesus would. They shared the message of the gospel. And Brian came that first Sunday. I still remember. He's sitting right over here where he is right now. And he, uh, he filled out a card that day, a connection card, and if I remember correctly, said a week ago, I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> a week later, he's jumping into the pool. A pool that honestly, for many of us, that pool of salvation, we get a little too content in, don't we? And we forget that God doesn't want us just to wait around in there where it's comfortable. He wants us to constantly grow. And in very practical ways to love him and to worship him and to serve him and to invest our lives in people around us the way Jesus did. So principle number one, when we look at an effective Christian life, the nuts and bolts of that effective Christian life are to be lived out very practically, not just merely thought through in theory. Principle number two is that the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life also work together. They work together. Imagine for a moment that you ask a pastor what he enjoys about ministry. <laughs> and imagine that pastor says, oh, man, I'm glad you asked. I love preaching the Word of God. I love preaching this book. I study 50 hours a week just preparing for my Sunday messages, and I preach at the drop of a hat, and I'll drop the hat, right? I love preaching the Word of God. I'll preach it anywhere, anytime, in season, out of season. Man, that's awesome. 
You probably love seeing people's lives change, right? Imagine he says, oh, I don't care a thing about people. In fact, I hate people. They drive me nuts. I just love preaching the word. That's what I love. What would you think about that? (laughs) People drive me crazy. But this book, oh, boy. It's like it doesn't work that way, you know? Yeah, preaching is important, and uh, whether you're on a platform like this, which means absolutely nothing, or whether you're, you know, helping to share the truth of God's Word in the life of somebody else, that's incredibly important. I'm not devaluing or downplaying that at all. However, I'm saying that it is to work in unison with some other aspects of a growing Christian life, one of which is loving other people as we love ourselves, right? And so the, 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 uh, the elements of a Christian life that is effective are designed to work together. You know, I mentioned that space needle. I think we've got the, let's bring the picture up real quick. The picture of the Space Needle, I made mention that there are 74,000 bolts throughout, throughout that Space Needle. Imagine for a moment that someone went in and they just took one out of every 74,000 out. All right, I'm no mathematician, but I think that's 174th of those bolts. And at the end of that little project, there would be 1,000 less bolts that are in place than should be. You going up to the top of that Space Needle? It's only one out of every 74. I mean, come on, you're talking about a 1,000 bolts that are missing. There are 73 other 1,000 bolts that are there. You're not going to go to the top of that? No way. Why? Because they are designed to work together. In fact, the whole nuts and bolts thing, that's the way it's designed anyway, right? You've got loose pieces all over your house and drawers and, like I said before, toolboxes. They're designed to fit together, to integrate together, to work together together around that perimeter of that uh of that space needle as i mentioned there are 72 foundational bolts each 30 feet long 30 feet in length let's just say you take three or four of those out i mean you still got like 68 or 69 of those things you going up to the top of that no way why because they are all important they're all designed to work together here's the thing when we think about an effective christian life we can't just say oh i have an effective walk with god because i love to pray Or I have an effective walk with God because I love to worship. Or I have an effective walk with God because I love to study the Bible. Or I have an effective walk with God because I love other people and I serve them. Each of those are so incredibly important. But what if you only did one and none of the others? What good is it for us to teach God's Word without praying that God brings it to life in the lives of people? What good is it for us to, 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 to seek to, um, to, to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we don't really worship God on our own? We, we, never, really, we, we never really grow in our, our love for him and our hunger for him. Well, what if that's lacking? See, when we look at the elements, the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life, God wants them all to increasingly work together and to grow and to increase. Look at how Peter says this. This is awesome, man. I love this passage. I've thought before I would love to do a series on each element in the list that we're about to read in this passage right here. Maybe that'll be another day coming at some point, but, uh, but, but Peter, I think he really proves the point of what we're looking at here. Look at what he says. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So, so what he's saying there is that you, Christian, have been given everything you need to walk a walk of godliness. There's nothing that is lacking. God has already given you everything through your relationship with Jesus. He says, for by these he has granted to us 
his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like when we read that passage of Scripture that we could say, all right, I can take my foot off the gas, right? I'm saved. I gave my life to Christ. God's given me everything I need pertaining to life and godliness. I've been rescued, right, from, uh, from myself and my sin and eternal judgment. I mean, everything's set. I'm covered, right? So I can just take the, the, my, my foot off the gas. I can just sort of coast until I get to heaven. That's the way it sounds, right? He, he couldn't be saying something any different, right? He, he, is, he is saying exactly the opposite of that. Look at what Peter says next in verse 5. He says, now for this very reason, he says, because you've been saved and washed clean and spared, you know, payment for your sin because Christ took it. He said, for the very reason that you are a believer, he says, also applying all diligence, right, take this seriously, he says, in your faith, supply moral excellence. Then he goes through this list. And in your moral excellence, knowledge And in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Peter goes through this whole entire list. I think what he's saying is, don't just begin to coast because you are a Christian. He says, you got to get down to the nuts and bolts and live out practically what your faith means. Let's bring that slide up real quickly again, if we can. It's almost like he says, what use would it be if you are morally excellent, right? You are now a believer. You've come up to the the status of who God has made you. We just sang about that at the beginning of the service, that you are a child of God. You are redefined. Now, Now live in a way that matches that. What if we did that, but then now go to the bottom of the list, but we had no brotherly kindness or we had no love for other people? No, they're, they're, these qualities are all supposed to work together. The, the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life work together. It's not just about an effective prayer life or an effective worship experience or effective uh, uh, influence on other people. All of these things work together as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. What Peter says next is nothing short of absolutely shocking. Look, look at what he says in verse 8. He says, for if these qualities are yours... And they're increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that is mind-blowing. If you've, if you've come to the place where not only have you given your life to Christ, but now you're, you're getting down to the nuts and bolts. You are wanting to grow in what that faith means. And you're wanting to, to grow in very practical ways. Not just saying, yeah, firm prayer. Yeah, firm evangelism. Yeah, firm worship. Yeah, firm this and that. But you really want to get down to the nuts and bolts. And you want to begin to, to practically live that out on a daily basis. What Peter says, he says, if that happens and those qualities are present, he says then your life guaranteed will not be useless and it will not be unfruitful. He promises. But he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. What if God treated your salvation as just merely something to think through 
or affirm or just deal with in the realm of theory. But what if he called your name and said, yeah, I see, see him down there. Well, he needs a Savior. Whew, he sure has sin, but I sure do love him. If he only had a Savior. Mm. I don't want him to go to hell. I want him to know me, and i got so much for him. In fact, I want more for him than I want from him. You know, he, I just want him to surrender and come to me. But, wow, if he only had a Savior that could pay for that sin. What if that's the only way God dealt with salvation? He didn't. He affirmed all of that. But he also got down to the practical nuts and bolts, and he sent his son, Jesus, to die in real time on a very real cross, feeling very real pain and real genuine separation from the Father so that your real sins and my real sins can be really forgiven for all of eternity. And it wasn't just theory and affirmation. Yeah, I want people to be saved. It was, my son's going to go, and he's going to pay for this. The whole reason you're saved. It's because God got down to the nitty-gritty, got down to the nuts and bolts in a very practical way, and he paid for the salvation that you desperately needed. <laughs> you know, what would it look like then if we took just a, just a step to grow a little bit more in the practical applications of our faith? That's what we're going to aim to do in this series. Today we've just introed it. Next Sunday we're going to start. And here, here's what's going to happen over these next few weeks ahead. Uh, th this is going to be a different series, maybe, than most that I've ever really preached or covered before. We're, we're uh, going to try to give you some opportunities to do some practical things and give you some practical helps uh, as we work through Scripture and looking at different aspects of the Christian life, with the goal being that our Christian walks are more effective at the end of the series right, than they were before, that we see things differently, but not just see them differently, but we also have taken practical steps to sharpen and to strengthen the different aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. And I will say also that it, it's, uh, as it's going to be a different series, if your desire is to come and just sort of check this box and try to get to noon as fast as we can and get out of here and get on with the rest of your day, you're probably not going to enjoy this series, not because I'm planning to preach long. I'm not planning to do that at all. It's just going to be a, a different type of series that's not really conducive to just box checking. Right? We want you to try to take some, some practical steps to sharpen the different areas of your Christian walk so that, as Peter said, you will be neither useless nor unfruitful as you walk out your salvation and your faith in the person of Jesus. So I hope you'll be here, and I hope you'll be here consistently, and I hope you'll bring somebody with you. And my desire is that when this series is over in a few weeks, that we look back and we've got tools in the toolbox, but we've also gotten down to the nuts and bolts. And those nuts and bolts are now working together, and we're becoming more well-rounded as a believer and a follower of Jesus who lives that faith out practically, not just here between 9 and noon on Sundays, but that we live it out like we never have out there between the Sundays. If you've never given your life to Jesus, man, what we've sung about today and the story that you've heard for our baptism and just a little bit we've seen in God's Word today, I hope you've understood the simple truth that God loves you more than you could ever realize and that if you're at a place where you're willing to lay down that sin, God is more than willing and able to take it to remove it because Christ paid for it and to give you his righteousness in exchange. And right where you sit today, you can make a decision that will change everything by praying and asking Jesus to do just like Brian did and many others here, to come and forgive and take over. And you'll do it. Let's pray.